The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com, and I'm delighted to be back with you for... Yes, another week. And my guest today, Leslie Hunter, is going to talk to me about how to be the pack leader and leadership lessons inspired by dogs. So excited about that one. And uh, my uh, pet Labradoodle, Barney, is also in, very interested as well, I'm sure, to, uh, to see what he can teach me. Um, before we get on to that, I want to just uh, say a big thank you to my guest last week, the fabulous David Heiner, who followed up the show that I did with Stephen Sutton and Mike Pagan, really beautifully to help us think through how we can use our businesses for good. And it certainly got me thinking about who and how I will support. And one of the things that I've done for 25 years now is sponsor children through Plan International. And it was great to hear this story from internet psychologist Graham Jones, who's been on the show before, probably about 18 months ago. Um, And he wrote this on Facebook. He said, Facebook is a wonderful thing. For almost 25 years, my wife and I have been sponsoring children in Zimbabwe through the work of the charity Plan International. The first child we sponsored disappeared from the village in 2001. The charity were unable to track him down, and so our sponsorship was transferred to another child who we sponsored until she was 14. We're now sponsoring our third child in the country. But today I had a message on Facebook that first child who had disappeared tracked me down. He's now a handsome young man living in Bulawayo and working as a designer. How fantastic to hear from him. We still have his pen pal letters from when he was just 10 years old. We hear a lot of bad things about Facebook, but this is surely an example of its wonders. And very nicely linked to that, next week I have Steve Horden Burnett on the show talking to me about crowdfunding and how we can use the internet to raise equity for our business, uh, businesses or finance for projects, projects like the project that Stephen Sutton um, has done in terms of raising £3 million for charity. So we can use the internet to raise money for our businesses or for charities or whatever. And so I'll be talking to Steve next week on that. So now back to something completely different. Because those of you who've listened to the show before may know that five years ago I was converted into the world of dog ownership. When I finally gave way to my wife and we, we got a Labradoodle pup. And since then Barney's become an important part of our lives. And with the growth of TV programs about dogs and their owners... I'm interested to find out what we can learn about ourselves from our dogs. And, uh, you know, maybe you can learn something from your dog if you've got one or a, a dog that you know that maybe you'd occasionally take out for walks or something. My guest has both been um, both a love of dogs and also a passion for leadership. And she believes that there's a lot we can learn about our leadership behavior from our dog. 
Leslie Hunter is the pack leader, a specialist in turning managers into authentic leaders in the workplace. And Leslie's an international speaker. She's an author. She's an acclaimed leadership coach who uses a simple metaphor to provoke behavioral changes in her audiences and, and to encourage people to become pack leaders in their organizations. She's, no, she's known of a, um, the owner sorry, of a boisterous, strong-willed German shepherd, uh, Kino, who I have met. He's very beautiful, and he's been the inspiration for her work based around what human leaders can learn from working with dogs. Leslie has a real mix of experience working with schools, government agencies, police forces, small family businesses, global manufacturing companies, giving her insight into the challenges that leaders are facing in today's high-pressure society. Uh, using her dogs uh, for dog to so the passion for dogs in her unique development programs, Leslie challenges business leaders to reflect and explore how they can engage with and gain the trust of their followers in the workplace. So, does my Labradoodle Barney need to watch out, or perhaps I'm about to find out what he can teach me? A big welcome to Leslie Hunter. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and Leslie, um, you're from the the northeast of England. I am. Hence, hence the accent. And yes. <laughs> however, I believe you're leaving and you're moving somewhere a bit warmer. Just a fraction warmer. I'm um, I'm going to be relocating to join my husband over in Abu Dhabi in the next few months. Yeah, so quite a bit warmer than the northeast of England. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, well, that should be it. Uh, should be very nice over there, I'm sure. Um, but shall we start with? What got you interested in dogs and leadership, really? Well, really, there are two themes that have run throughout my life. Um, my dad was a vet, so I grew up with dogs. We, I always had that, that influence around me. Um, and one of the first things I did when I left home, graduated from university, um, was to, again, to bring dogs back into my life. Um, and from my professional life, I spent about 12 years as an inspector in the UK looking at schools and the effectiveness of leadership in schools. And then I, I also have worked in, as you said, businesses and public sector looking at managers and leaders. And the two converged at, at a certain point due to one particular client and quite simply I was struggling to get a particular message across to him, realized he had a dog. And when I asked him why he was behaving in a particular way with his workforce and then said, how does he behave with his dog? I almost saw a light bulb moment for him. Um, and my two sort of personal and professional passions converged and combined at that point in time. Yeah. You certainly got me thinking when we were pre-planning this show and about my my dog, and, <laughs> and it was it was things like you know sometimes I go out for a walk with a dog with a mobile phone and I'm chatting to people and and actually you know it's not bettering my relationship with him in any way whatsoever. Uh, Absolutely, that's, that's kind of probably a special time for him. So uh, I put the phone away the last few times I've been out. <laughs> um, so how do you think dogs can really help us to become better leaders? Well, I, I think that there are several ways. Um, the first is that dogs give you instant feedback. Um, if a dog doesn't like something or is not comfortable with something, you know instantly. Um, there's none of this the dog being worried about hurting your feelings. It responds, reacts, and you get that feedback instantly. Um, that doesn't always happen in the workplace. 
So uh, I, I think that you can use that that analogy and say, how as a leader in the uh, in the work environment do I ensure that I provide opportunities for my followers, for want of a better word, to be able to give me that feedback and help me understand the impact of my actions. Um, dogs react very much to emotion and behavior. So the response you get from a dog is typically a reflection of how you have interacted with them. Um, so it's very much a two-way process, a two-way communication. And I think there's a lot that leaders uh, can learn ab- about their own authenticity, about developing trust. Um, and the bottom line is how how you communicate, because I don't know if you've ever tried to sit Barney down and rationalize with him to explain something to him. But, you know, you, you have to form some some kind of psychological contract between the human and the dog. And that's what leaders have to do with their followers. They have to form these contracts. With a dog, you don't have that um, full range of verbal communication. So you have to develop a wide range of communication skills, understand body language, verbal cues, gestures, and so on. So there's a lot that I really think um, dogs can help us in terms of becoming better leaders, particularly in, in our relationships with our followers. Yeah, it's quite interesting in what you were saying there because I, I think you're absolutely right with a with the dog. They they don't have you know in terms of their response, they probably don't have lots of filters that they're putting it through. Like um, I, I guess with an employee, they're thinking you know he's a boss or she's a boss. They're more senior than me. Um, you, you know we probably we probably don't show our true emotion all, all the time. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, the, as you say, all the filtering mechanisms that we have um, through our own preferences, our own experiences, our own expectations. Dog, dogs don't run those filters. Um, dogs take you at face value and respond there and then to whatever your initial stimulus is. Mm-hmm. So the, that whole concept of learning from the feedback, that very fast, instant feedback um, tells you as an individual the impact and the influence that your actions are having. Um, and I think that's a really, really powerful lesson for leaders. So I'm going to turn the tables on you now, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> well, what have you learned about yourself from your German Shepherd Kino? I should have bought a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, Those are pretty boring. <laughs> quite a few things, actually. Um <clears throat> I need I need I needed to learn to control and manage my own emotion very much. Um in the introduction you said a strong-willed boisterous German shepherd and he is uh if he's very very quick to get overexcited so if I show too much enthusiasm or in effect wind him up yes. um I get back I reap what I sow. Um he had an incident as a puppy where he uh, got attacked by another dog and it created some anxiety. But you know what? The bulk of that anxiety was in me. Every time I saw that animal again, I tensed up. And of course, I transmitted that that emotion through to Kino. Um, so one of the key things I had to do was to learn this regulation to control and manage my own emotion. And another was... I had to make my expectations very precise, very clear. 
And there he is. <laughs> Taught me to say what I mean and mean what I say, such as I'm just about to tell him to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> just to prove he, he really does exist. Oh, yes. <laughs> Full flight mode. <laughs> it's because somebody actually decided to just walk up the driveway. Um, but, yes, exactly. Say, say what I mean and mean what I say. Um, no ambiguity. Be clear. So it, it helped me in terms of focus, given, giving 100% attention to whatever I was doing at the time. Um, as you say, I can't, I can't walk a dog and talk on a mobile phone at the same time. I can multitask, but it's not giving 100% focus on the key task, which is interacting and leading, being the leader in the situation with that animal. Yeah, there's, there's more, there's more, actually more pleasure and you feel the closeness of the relationship when you are focused on a dog. And I guess that's the same, you know, it's the same with a human being, isn't it? People go into conversations with, with uh, people who work, they're working with and their mind is somewhere else. And the reality is that the, you know, the great things happen when you're, you know, you're both alert to each other, really. Absolutely. And the, the opposite is, is true in that if you're not giving somebody 100% of your attention, what's that telling them about the value that you're placing on your interaction with them? Um, and I regularly have had situations in the workplace where people are saying to me, my manager just doesn't listen to me or, you know, my leaders always got higher priorities or other things that are more important. Um, you know, that that's the same as me taking the dog out for a walk and then just leaving him to get on with his own devices and me not being a leader, a true leader, um, expecting that engagement with him as my follower. So who's training who in your relationship then? Is it so? Uh, do you train the dog or is the dog training you? Great question. <laughs> um, well, if you go to any dog or puppy training classes, they will tell you that they're not training the dogs, they're training the owners. Um, I think it's two-way. I think it works both ways and that I come back to this this contract that you're forming, it's not a verbal contract, but it's this two-way interaction. And in reality, Kino has trained me at nine o'clock every night. He knows that he gets his supper. And at one minute past nine, if I've missed it, he's already opening the utility room door himself. You know, he, he knows the routines and he's basically saying to me, come on. Let's, let's get on with this. So I, I think it's two ways. Um, a friend just bought me a, a, a lovely book all about dogs and um, what's called Dognition, which is all about the, the cognitive development of dogs based on animal research. And it's asking the same question. Is your dog training you? Is your dog deliberately um, disobeying you? And the the answer they've come to is yes, very probably, but it's doing it behind your back, which I thought was quite amusing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, mine's not mine's not always perfectly behaved when you suddenly uh, you've got selective hearing, but which like human beings seem to have as well sometimes. Oh, Excuse myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think the key there, though, again, is is it's not just about training; it's about consistency. 
And again, take that back into what people do with young dogs. They take them to dog training classes and they think, right, you've learned it now. So I expect you to do it and do it all the time. But then they're not consistent. And um, different family members can be inconsistent in the way that they behave and interact and expect an animal to uh, to respond. I mean, I had that. My husband had never had a dog before. So he didn't realize that... Um, some of the key words I was using to train the dog, I expected him to use the same words. Mm. Um, now, I'm not suggesting that you should be using keywords in that way in the workplace, but I've, I've had to deal with people in the workplace who've had multiple managers, maybe a line manager and a project manager, and they again, they hit inconsistencies. So there are still some parallels there that we can learn from. Mm. So how do you think... How is this show relevant to people who don't have a dog? It's about, it's a metaphor. It's as simple as that. The the human-canine interaction is the metaphor. So it's about thinking about the patterns, the patterns of behaviour, um, thinking about the people you interact with, seeing their different behaviours. And even if you if you don't have a dog, Everybody knows somebody who's got a dog and you may not even like dogs, which means that, again, you will know that there's something about the way they're behaving. So I I think it's particularly relevant because dogs can create very strong emotions. People either like them or don't. And it's about how they make you feel. And if we thought about that more in the workplace, about how our interactions um, with other people made them feel and made us feel I'm, sh- I'm convinced that that self-awareness would make people better leaders brilliant well on that, on that note we're going to go to our first commercial break and we should be back with you again in a couple of minutes uh, Leslie has about 21 principles in a book um, about working with dogs and the relationship with leadership so we're going to go into uh, some of those areas after the break When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One to one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Leslie Hunter, the pack leader, and we're talking about um, how to be the pack leader and le- leadership lessons inspired by dogs. And Leslie and I were having a, a conversation in the break, and we were just saying, you know, there's also you know parallels in that we, we, we lead, have to be leaders at work. Uh, we have to be leaders with our dogs, but if you have children, um, we have to be leaders when it comes to our children too. And uh, managing all those things can be quite difficult at times. I, I find. Uh, Leslie, are you still with us? Yes, I'm still with you, Chris. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Leslie, in your book, you've got 21 principles about working with a dog. Which ones are particularly helpful for us to think about as leaders? Um, right. The, the first one that springs to mind is um, that the position and the power of an individual does not make them an effective leader. Um, there's a, a saying that I... I try to get people to live by which is that your behavior does not control my response that's an interesting one um leaders need to be consistently flexible in their behavior and sometimes controversially i'll say there's no such thing as attitude um another if i give you another three anticipation anticipation is a fundamental skill for any leader and leaders need to understand the power of feedback, as I was saying earlier. And perhaps one of the most important is that to be a leader, you have to have at least one follower, even if that follower is you. Great. Well, let's, let's get into the, into the sort of detail of some of those. Um, let's start. The first one I noticed was, what do you mean by, was, was, was position and power do not make effective leaders? What do you mean by that, Leslie? Um. The fact that so many people, particularly in the workplace, uh, use their position uh, to or their job status or job title to almost confer authority. Um, in, a, in a pack of dogs, it's not always the biggest or the loudest animal that is the, the leader of the pack. Quite often, it's the, um, it's the smallest animal in, in the pack. But many people in the workplace confuse the identity of being a leader with the role or the job title that the individual holds. And again, regularly come across people who who have little respect for their leaders because they say they just try and tell us what to do because they think they have the position, they think they have the power. So for me, a true leader's identity will show in the quality of their behavior, not in their job title or the authority they have within an organization. Actually, so you, your behavior needs to be that of a, a great leader if you're in a position of great leadership. Yes, Chris. 
<laughs> and and so, so I suppose a dog, you know, it doesn't matter whether you are the uh, whether you're Richard Branson or your uh, your Chris Cooper, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or or whoever. Your dog doesn't really care about that sort of thing. Yeah, and the tr- the trouble is that it's it's this whole concept of um, you know you you are the the leader because I've given you that title. Well, a title doesn't make somebody a leader. A title is an I- a, an identity, but it doesn't make them a leader. What makes them a leader is the behaviour that they they use and the fact that they get people to follow them and choose to follow them. I see it regularly in in for example manufacturing where people move from work on the production line into leadership positions, supervisory or management positions. And that transition, quite often the word is, oh, it's them and us now. You know, you were one of us, you're now one of them. And it, it's the position that's been, in, that's been inferred rather than the leadership behavior. Yes. And I, I suppose people do, there is a tendency to, to look up to authority type figures on the whole. However, if that authority type figure does not have consistent behaviours or good behaviours when it comes to leadership, then they soon find themselves unpopular, don't they? Yes, and many of the many of the people in those positions are there almost by default. Um, I've worked with a lot of organisations where people almost get rewarded with leadership positions because of their length of service. That that's n- has nothing to do with their capability or effectiveness as a leader. That's to do with their longevity um, within the organisation. And, you know, in other organisations, particularly in the UK recently, where there's been a lot of redundancy and restructuring in some of our public service organisations, um, I've had to work with people who have suddenly become leaders as far as their position is concerned and never had any aspiration to be a leader, but all of a sudden their job titles changed and this expectation is placed on them. So what I'm really saying here is just because you call somebody a leader doesn't mean that they necessarily will be a leader and certainly doesn't necessarily mean they'll be an effective leader. Yes, so I remember it's bringing back a memory of many many years ago having a a leader who was extremely intelligent uh, as a a line manager, but probably the most crummy leader that I've ever had to work for. It just was painful, painful spending time with her. Um, but because of her high IQ, she she believed she was good at the leadership position as well. I left. I left the company in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Been there seven years, and uh, it, it inspired me to leave. Um, anyway, I don't, think, I don't think she's been leading people that much since. <laughs> um, there's a distinction again between <laughs> managing and leading. And you said it there, it's about leading people, it's about the relationships, and it's about that ability to interact. So it's not about the job title or your position. So how about your behaviour does not control my response? What does that mean? Right, this was one of the um, one of the key lessons, you know, I said I learned from Kino was I had to be able to regulate, control, manage my own emotion. Um, what, what I realised was that if, I, if my dog behaves in a certain way, so for instance, let's assume I had a dog who was being aggressive, um, and if I was to reflect and mirror that aggression back, in other words, I was to try and manage the situation through aggression, um, guess what's going to happen? 
So the most effective leaders will, in my view, be able to maintain a degree of self-control in all situations. What they'll do is they'll stop and say, you know what, you're behaving in a particular way, but that's not going to control the way I choose to respond in this particular situation. So a really effective leader will be self-aware enough to stop, reflect, consider the situation, and then the key is to be able to make a conscious choice of how they want to behave. So it's a rather than simply reacting to a situation, it's about making conscious choices about your behavior as a leader and as a consequence, choosing the right behavior in any situation with the particular individual you're interacting with. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, it takes practice. But it was a very powerful lesson for me with Kino. Yeah, that's a really, really good lesson. And one who, for anybody out there who's a parent, will also be able to appreciate <laughs> too. Um, so young children can be quite challenging from that uh, that respect. And you're right, you've got to stop and reflect and consider the situation. Because if you if you respond back like they, are, they do, then it's a, it's a, a situation which uh, makes them think it's okay to behave like that because you do it too. That's right. And think about all the the applications of this in business in terms of conflict, conflict management, um, you know, interpersonal communication and and relationships. Um, There are plenty of of ways in which this applies into the business context. Mm. So how do we get into the mindset of being consistently flexible then with our behavior? Practice, but that that whole concept again of self reflection and self awareness. Um, the The whole point is that if you, the more you work with with dogs, um, and the more dogs you work with, you very quickly realise that each dog is an individual. Um, so you wouldn't try to treat a Chihuahua or respond to a Chihuahua in the same way necessarily as you would the Rottweiler, the Boxer or even in my case, the German Shepherd. So what you have to do is is develop as an individual as broad a repertoire of behavior as you can and then consciously practice self-reflection and self-regulation so that you can adapt your behavior. Um, I had a colleague once who suggested an activity for me a lot uh, that at the time I thought was rather bizarre but worked very well. And he suggested that I go into a supermarket and walk up and down the aisles without buying anything, but behave differently and choose to behave differently in each aisle of the supermarket. <laughs> and I don't know if you, you you have the same experience as me, that you tend to bump into the same people at the end of the aisles, you know, as you're trying to maneuver around. And he said, watch the way their response changes to you. Because he said they're responding to your behavior. And he said the more you can switch from one behavior to the next, from being perhaps aggressive to being um, curious or inquisitive, he said the easier it will be in any given situation for you to stop, reflect, and make that choice. So it is a conscious development that you have to undertake. But there are tools you can use. And... Um, you could always just go to your local supermarket and play. <laughs> and did you did you manage not to get kicked out? Or 
what actually happened was the the um the manager of the supermarket uh collared me at the end and said i've been watching you and he said could i show you something and he took me into the back room and of course i hadn't realized they had cctv in this in this supermarket yes and he said and um, he said what were you trying to do? So I explained to him. And when he showed me the, the CCTV footage, it was phenomenal because it actually illustrated what I'd been trying to achieve. Um, and he said, you have taught me more about what I now need to say to my staff about how they respond to customers. So the, I should have sent him an invoice, but, you know, there was an implicit <laughs> training and development went on. Um, but it... it it really was a very powerful activity. I mean, I got some funny looks, don't get me wrong, and I wouldn't do it again in a supermarket that I wanted to go back to, but <laughs> certainly not shopping locally, uh, regularly. But it is, Chris, it's just, it's one of these things. Being a leader takes skill and it takes practice. Mm. Well, well done on doing that. That's a uh, very brave thing to do. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering whether now, you know, People, when you're dealing with people, obviously, right, there can be a full repertoire. There's a full repertoire of different behaviors and different styles, and there's various models that kind of map that. With a, with a, with a dog, um, are you saying that a, you know, a dog, maybe a chihuahua or a German shepherd might be one of the styles, or do you experience the full repertoire of behaviors in each breed? I think there's a, there's a core range of behaviors across breeds, but there are there are some that tend to be not necessarily breed specific, but more characteristic of different breeds. And I actually use, I I use that as part of a profiling activity. So although with some businesses, I'll use psychometrics and, you know, all the standard diagnostics, I actually use the pack leader profiling where what I've done is I've looked at different breeds and, and people I mean, people use this in their day-to-day language. You know, for instance, they'll say, oh, that sales representative was a real terrier. They just wouldn't let it go. You know, and if somebody describes someone else as a Rottweiler, we all we all tend to get an idea of, of some of the characteristics. So I think there are some commonalities, but I think there are some fairly specific breed characteristics and behaviors that you can look at as well. Yeah, that's not, the, not, not one of the ones uh, I want to be, the Rottweiler. <laughs> the one you don't want to be, Chris, is the Shih Tzu. <laughs> so, yapping, yapping and, you know, yapping people into submission. And it's all about me, 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 centre of attention all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we've all met one or two of those in the past. <laughs> um, so what do you mean by there's no such thing as attitude? Right, this causes quite a lot of discussion. <laughs> uh, if you look at the definition, a dictionary definition of attitude, it's, it's defined as a way of feeling about something. So this is taking us back into the emotion. Um, and my, my take on this is that if somebody talks about attitude, what they're doing again is they're creating a label for another person. But what they're really labeling are two things. One, the other person's behavior, but more importantly, how that behavior is making them feel. So give you an example. If somebody says, um, you know, so-and-so has got a really poor attitude, what what they're really saying is so-and-so is behaving in a particular way and I am not comfortable with it. It's making me uncomfortable. So 
it's when people try to use attitude as a noun, use it as a label, the trouble with that is labels stick. Mm. And I, I really do struggle with this. Um, so every time I hear, because quite often people use the word, this concept of an attitude as giving somebody permission to behave in a certain way. And I, I don't agree with that. That's so a, yeah. it's quite controversial. But, you know, if you don't like, take it back to the dogs. If you don't like a dog's attitude, what you're really saying is, I'm uncomfortable or I don't like the way they're behaving and the way they make me feel. Right. So what is it? What's the problem? Why? And what are you going to do about it? Mm. I, I guess sometimes that... You know, sister, it might be justified if it's uh, an attitude that would gen- generally people would find <laughs> repelling. But you're absolutely right that uh, sometimes we can we can use that if there's when a meeting with somebody and it hasn't quite gone, you know, gone as we anticipated. Then it might be something in ourselves. Exactly. I remember I used to go out with a wonderful. It was a really good sales manager many years ago when I was when I started off in sales and. You know, he used to say that um, each, each each client we went to see would regu- regularly say, "Oh, yeah, that was a blooming awful client, or you know, really difficult client." And and I'd be sitting in the car thinking they weren't. <laughs> they they yeah. really weren't. It, it's, you know, and, and I, I realised that it was actually something in him. <laughs> he just has to be a bit more flexible. And that, to me, is what attitude is. You're you're really making a judgment on the other person's behaviour and your emotional response to that behaviour. Mm. absolutely yes so we need to think about ourselves and uh, uh, I suppose it's about being flexible again in our thinking and our behaviour isn't it yes and it's about being and back to self-awareness again it's about reflecting and and recognising when you have felt a particular way and then asking yourself why and what you're going to do about it in the future fabulous well we're going to go back to our final commercial break I'm really looking forward to further chatting with you Leslie and discussing the, the final um, three and uh, exploring those a little bit more so we'll be back with you all again in just a couple of minutes From the boardroom to you Voice America Business Network Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realise your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be? Or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com That's info at bemoreachievemore.com Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and I'm talking to Leslie Hunter about how to be the pack leader. Um, before the break, we were talking about five different, uh, we talked about five, I think, different kind of principles uh, that uh, Leslie has um, identified from working with dogs and leaders. And I think the one I'd noted down as the the, the sixth was tell us a, was about um, anticipation. Sorry, Leslie, um, tell us about anticipation and why it's a fundamental skill for any leader. Um, right, let me take you back to where you mentioned the fact that you sometimes use your phone when you're out with the dog, um, and we talked earlier about you know focus and giving something a hundred percent of your attention, but if you if if something happens um, because you haven't got that hundred percent attention, um, what typically we we tend to do is say, "All right, I'm going to learn from that. I've, I've had that experience. I'll learn from it. I'm not going to do it again." Um, with a dog, you really do have to learn because if the experience is that your dog runs off, your dog jumps maybe into a field of sheep, your dog behaves inappropriately with another dog, then you really do have to learn because you don't want that repeated. Take this into the workplace. And I see so many people who have experiences and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to learn from that experience. And then they repeat the same pattern and the same behavior time and time and time again. So for me, the difference between a manager and a leader in the workplace is that a leader not only learns from their experiences, but then uses this what if question. So they're constantly saying, what can I do to make sure that hopefully I can either minimize or mitigate a similar situation happening? So the leader actually develops strategies and really learns and changes at behavioral level rather than just telling everybody that they'll do something differently. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it makes, makes a lot of sense. And uh, for anybody there who's, who's thinking actually my, you know, my dog runs off occasionally or something like that, how do you develop a strategy for your dog? 
<clears throat> well, again, it's back to if your dog is running off, um, then it means there's something more interesting or more exciting happening somewhere else. Um, and I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, this is about also setting boundaries and expectations. And back in the workplace, you've got to be clear about boundaries and expectations. Um, my dog now knows that when I use a particular keyword and the word is buy, that what I mean is goodbye. And I turn around and I walk away. And I do turn around and walk away and I do not look back. My dog now knows I will leave him. And trust me, he is there in a second because he knows that I mean what I say. So it's about saying what you mean and meaning what you say and carrying through. Um, it takes practice again, but it's about being clear. He is anticipating in that situation what is going to happen. And what's going to happen is I'm going to keep walking. Hmm. Probably take quite a bit of work to build that trust do that um it takes an enclosed space to do it you know somewhere where you know you can you can do that and you're not putting the dog or anybody else you know at risk but it happens very very quickly um we're talking about highly intelligent animals here and if they realize that you actually mean that you are going to leave them um your dog will follow you yeah Yes, and what, what I learned from experience very early on is you don't you don't run after them because they keep running. <laughs> oh no, because they think you're part of the game. Just yes, but it's about. But it's also when I'm out walking my dog, um, and I go out quite often with a, a dog walker, and we can have seven, eight dogs collectively. Um, I'm constantly scanning, constantly scanning the horizon for anything that could be a potential. Um, interest opportunity or threat and that is a fundamental skill for any leader you know there are times when I know to put my dog on the lead because there is something maybe 200 yards down the road that might be uh you know of interest to him and I don't want him to get involved um and as a leader in any any context you need to be you need to have that overview that big picture and that scanning and be able to anticipate what could be coming next yeah, yeah, be able to manage the risks with your people uh, yeah. by some, sometimes giving them too much freedom or sometimes not giving them enough. Absolutely. Uh, and, and making sure it's a bespoke strategy. And that's back to treating each individual, you know, in, in the appropriate way. So let, let's talk about the power of understanding uh, feedback. You know, what, what about, um, about feedback? Right. Well, again, we've touched on on this before in that I've said with a dog, it's instant. Um, You get feedback there and then. Um, They don't go away, sit and think about it, chew it over, work out how to say something to you that isn't really going to hurt your feelings. And as a consequence, come back and dilute a message. You get the feedback, bang, there and then. Um, But feedback is, is more about, it should really be telling you more about yourself than it is about the person or the individual giving you the feedback because it's happening all the time. And as leaders, how often do we actually go out and seek feedback? I mean, when, when was the last time, for instance, you asked somebody for some feedback? Um, just trying to, trying to think about that. Probably, uh, probably, 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 I do it regularly, actually. I do it regularly. I ask, I ask feedback on, on my radio shows most, most weeks. Uh, right. But I, I think... Uh, there's a good point there that you could ask feedback from your clients more often. 
Um, and it's it's learning to recognize that feedback is happening around you all the time and using it then to inform what you do next. As I said, you get instant feedback from a dog at an emotional level and they don't hold back. And also they don't hold grudges. That's that's the other thing about feedback. Dogs don't hold grudges. With a dog, what you see is what you get. Unfortunately, that's not always the case in the workplace. No. So more important, you get it right in the workplace. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think the, the final uh, point you made was was to be a leader, you have to be have at least one follower, even if that follower is you. Now, I'm really intrigued to understand <laughs> what you mean by that. <laughs> well, it's it's fascinating that you say you've got Steve Horton Burnett on next week because he, he picked up on that. I know Steve, and he picked up on that comment and wrote a formula for me based around that, that comment that, that really made me start to think because this this whole concept of being a follower um, followership, people used to find it quite offensive being referred to as a follower, mm. but social media has really brought it into acceptance. I mean, we've all got followers on Twitter, we've got friends on Facebook, we've got connections on LinkedIn, and you've got to ask the question why would someone choose to follow you? You know, what is it that you are doing um, potentially as a leader? that is creating that either curiosity or motivation or interest or engagement or even trust with the people who are choosing to follow you. And it's this back to this psychological contract and engagement with your followers because a dog will follow you for a period of time, but probably out of curiosity. You could even bribe it for, you know, for some time with treats or toys, but ultimately Ultimately, it will come down to following you because it trusts you. And the question is, can we do the same in the workplace? So this brings us to authenticity. As a leader, would you choose to follow yourself? So that's where that concept of you have to have at least one follower, even if that follower is you. This is about self-leadership. I see. So that's really doing some analysis around yourself and saying... Yeah, if, if you were your own boss, would you follow yourself and be Absolutely. brutally honest about it? Yeah, it's about self-awareness, then self-regulation of the emotion and the behaviour, leading to potentially self-leadership. That's when the authenticity comes in. And if you can be an authentic leader, that's when trust really does become one of the, the big outcomes. Trust, engagement and well-being are three of the key outcomes of, of being an authentic leader in the workplace. Yeah. Brilliant. Now, for those of us who are leaders, um, you know, based on the information that we've, we've we've discussed, what do you think people should go and do now with this information? Uh, look again at your followers. Pick pick up on what we've just said there. Look again at your followers. Look at what motivates them. What your expectations are and their expectations are. What their needs are. Look at how you behave and interact. And perhaps pick some examples or situations and really analyze for yourself as a leader, go through that self-awareness and self-regulation and say, how could I have behaved differently? How could I have adapted my own behavior? Um, And I suppose the bottom line is you could always borrow a dog. (laughs) Yes. Borrow a dog, yes. I'm I'm open to to responsible people walking mine occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> what about um, 
for those of us who have a dog or know a dog, I mean, what uh, what should we do now to be a, a better pack leader? What can we do starting right now? Make sure that in the future you always give 100% focus and attention. If you're walking your dog, that is your activity, walking your dog. If you are... Um, if you are going out running with your dog, that's your activity. Whatever you're going, to, whatever interaction you have, make that the one hundred percent focus of the activity, and just see how that relationship, um, how that relationship changes. Um, I would always advocate go out with a pack if you can, um, find a local dog walker, go out and see how you interact and how you would have to change your behavior with different dogs. Typically, we only ever have one, two, maybe three dogs at most. But I found being in the middle of a field um, with a number of dog walkers, and I think there were about 21 dogs in total. Believe you me, I had to anticipate. I had to change my behavior to be able to respond to each of those animals. So actually get yourself out there and, and start being a true pack leader and practice practice changing your behavior respond to your dog in a slightly different way and watch how your dog's reaction changes and start to recognize that hopefully what i'm saying is actually true that you will get a different response if you adapt and change your behavior with your dog yes i find mind if i put more energy into it uh, into him I get a bit more back. Yeah. Um, although, although I can get him a bit too excited and he goes nuts, but <laughs> there's a fine line. There's a balance. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've just got a, a sort of couple of minutes left, and I just wonder if you've got any any key messages that you'd like to share with us, Leslie, before we leave. Well, yes. I mean, bear in mind, a lot of people hear, you know, what can human leaders learn from dogs, and immediately switch off or think, oh, it's going to be light and fluffy. It's a metaphor. It, it is a metaphor. Be clear that leadership is a process, but the leader is the person at the core of that process. And if we can tease out and help leaders understand their interaction with followers, how they form these psychological contracts and how they behave, then hopefully we're going to improve the effectiveness of them as leaders which has a knock-on effect on leadership, which ultimately obviously impacts positively in an organization. Um, I think two key things to leave you with are learn that learn to be consistently flexible in your own behavior, and that is conscious. It takes practice. And then finally, that con- learn to control your own emotion, develop that self-regulation, and ultimately it will serve you well whether you're a leader or not. It'll certainly serve you well if you're in a position where you are a leader. Fantastic. Well, Leslie, you've certainly got me thinking today with this conversation about uh, not only about how I deal with my dog, but also the parallels of, of of dealing with people and what you can learn, you know, from both. And I think I think the dog is actually a really good, really good metaphor. And sometimes you do. To, to get on with well with a dog, you've got to put a, a have a strategy and, uh, and and sort of stick with that and work with it and be, be thinking and be aware of it. And I think it's very much the same with being a leader and with people. And sometimes we just forget, don't we? We just automatically get on with life and yes. uh, and, and don't put those disciplines in place. Yes, do that with a dog. The dog will react. <laughs> 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 well th- thank you so much really been lovely talking to you I've thank really you. enjoyed you 
you joining me today. And for more information on Leslie Hunter, uh, go to www.lesliehunter.com. That's Leslie with a Y, L-E-S-L-E-Y, hunter.com. Um, as uh, we mentioned on the show, the next week's show is going to be on crowdfunding, something which is being talked about a lot now. It's a, it's a real buzzword. Uh, we had uh, Stephen uh, Sutton raise £3 million for charity that way, but we can uh, use it to generate funds for businesses and that sort of thing. So something we really need to know about, I think, and uh, Steve Horton Burnett is a real expert in this area. So looking forward to that show next week. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful week. And Leslie, I hope you've enjoyed being on the show. Oh, it's been wonderful, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you. And best of luck in the United Arab Emirates. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to have to shave Kino, I think, a long-haired German shepherd. <laughs> my, my word, yes. He's in for a bit of a, bit of a surprise, isn't he? Isn't he just? <laughs> <laughs> well, take care, and I shall be back with you again next week. And once again, thank you, Leslie Hunter. Thank you. for listening to be more achieve more please join your host chris cooper again next friday at 8 a.m u.s pacific time typically 4 p.m london on the voice america business channel enjoy your week thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.